this is a conversation that I'm finding that most couples, unless they've been to some really extensive premarital counseling, have not had this conversation. And what that conversation entails is identifying what's okay and what's not okay. What's important to you and what's important to me. Welcome to Getting Money Right with Leo and David. In this episode, we're continuing a conversation we started with Russell Baxter. He is a licensed professional counselor. And one of the things that he does, he teaches on money and marriage and speaks and works with couples and helping them to learn how to manage their finances together. Russell teaches classes on finances, and he is currently writing a book on the subject titled Sharing Your Heart, Sharing Your Treasure. And he runs a professional counseling practice out in Grapevine, Texas. Russell, thanks for being on the show again. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me back. We really enjoyed the last episode with you, Russell, breaking down the different types of homes from the CPA home to the joint venture home, the Wild West home, and then a home that's healthy and has a team mentality. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back just one episode and hear while Russell breaks that down. Uh, you talked about why money's so complicated and dealing with our emotions as we're looking at money. You looked at the wounding that we tend to do with our spouse or with the people around us when it comes to finances and then ways to heal that. But you know, I think as we got kind of into the meat of that, I had this just basic question, how do you get started? How do you even begin this conversation with your spouse? Where do you begin? The first thing I tell most couples is that speaking and talking with each other is a skill. It's not just something that you come about naturally, especially if you didn't grow up in a home where you learned healthy conflict. Uh, it is it can be very messy, and it takes practice. This I don't I don't ever try to sugarcoat this and make people think, oh, if I have this plan and I follow it step by step, no, it, it it's going to be messy because people are messy and our emotions are messy, and uh, and so that's why I'm trying to provide a little bit of structure to take some of that mess out and help us follow a little bit of a roadmap. Um, but the key to making this roadmap work is to retrain your heart to explore instead of defend. And what I mean by that is instead of me just defending my position and defending the things that I want, I need to go out of my way and try to explore my wife's heart and, and really understand why is this important to her. So as we go through these conversations uh, and these different topics that I'm about to talk about, this is a really good grounding point. Why is this so important to them? They're not crazy. They're not irrational. They're not dumb. They're, they do things for a reason. And I really, if they're putting up this much of a fight for this thing, it probably would be in my best interest to try to explore this and, and instead of just saying, no, you don't understand, right, and shutting it down. Uh, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And so we start out with this roadmap, um, and it came from a verse, Matthew seven twenty four. Uh, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And this is just a great principle on how, how great it is to set your life on principles and values, um, preferably scriptural values. Uh, 
but that way you don't re- react and respond in your circumstances. And so I try to set up what I call the foundations of uh, financial freedom in your home. So it starts out with principles and priorities. The first step on the roadmap is principles and priorities. This is a conversation that I'm finding that most couples, unless they've been to some really extensive premarital counseling, have not had this conversation. Right. And what that conversation entails is identifying what's okay and what's not okay what's important to you and what's important to me. And some of the great questions for that would be, you know, is it okay to borrow money from family? Is it okay to borrow money, period? Are you okay with having credit cards? Is it important for us to pay for our kids' college? Is that a priority for us? It's okay if it's not. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. There's plenty of people who did not have their college paid for by their parents. And so it doesn't have to be an automatic yes, but it does need to be a conversation that's had. This is goes back to what we talked about last episode where we said, you know, assumptions and implications we can't operate in a healthy relationship with assumptions we can't just say well i thought this is what you wanted we need to have the conversation and so we start out by setting up these principles and priorities so i'll just use a great example throughout the roadmap say my wife and i uh, decide it's important for us to have a paid for home and so we don't want to have a mortgage we don't like owing money to the bank Um, and i'd also like to be able to just say, I own my own home, right? And so it's important to me. And we both have sat down and we agreed on that. Well, once we've agreed on that, then we move on to goals. And goals is going to say, well, I would like to have the paid for home done by the time I'm 45. Okay, that's a good goal. And the reason it's a good goal is because it's time sensitive. It's measurable. I know when I'm done and when I'm not done. It's quantifiable. Um, There's a clear success and failure identifier. A lot of people fail with goals is they kind of say, I would like to be better at this. And it's really a subjective and vague, or we would like to save more. Well, we can say saving is important, and I completely agree with you, but that's not really a very helpful goal because it's not measurable. At what point do we say, oh, we've saved more, <laughs> right. right? We need to say, we would like to have $15,000 in a savings account that we don't touch for emergencies, right? Or two to three months expenses or three to six months expenses. Right. So it's measurable. And so we know if we succeeded, so we can go, okay, great. We finished this and we can move on, right? Mm-hmm. Because with, especially with money, you're never going to make enough. You're never going to have enough. There's always going to be something that we would need or want. And so we have to have some kind of measuring stick, uh, especially for people like my wife who, you know, I don't know that there's going to be enough money in the bank account to make her feel safe, right? But we have to come at some point, take the emotions out and say, you know, reasonably having three to six months of expenses is really all we need, right? right. Yes, it would feel better to have a year's worth in there, <laughs> but objectively, we would like to move on to some of our other goals, uh, and this one is done. Right. And we can check it off our list. And there so once we've established those goals, then we can move on to a plan. What does it look like to make this happen? Well, if I want to be, if we go back to our original example, if I want to have a paid for home by the time I'm 45, well, right now I'm 32. So that's 13 years. Well, then I can easily track back and say, well, if I'm going to pay off my home in 13 years, then I have to pay X amount of dollars extra on my mortgage every month. And so I have a nice, clean, quantifiable goal. Now, if I look at that and I go, oh, man, that's a lot more on my mortgage than I was prepared to put it. Well, then I can go back to the last step 
and reevaluate it and say, you know what, maybe we can make it at 50. Maybe it's not quite that important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I can pay it off by the time I'm 50, and that'll be, that'll be great. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we go back and we set our plan now and we say, okay, well, now I'm going to pay it off by the time I'm 50. That's going to require an extra $500 a month for me to pay off my home by that point. And so now I have a number that I can take to the next step, which is setting up the budget. And the budget is something that, uh, I mean, you can, there's so many different apps and so many different tools that you can use to help build your budget. But where most people fall short in setting up a budget is they don't have any quantifiable or objective standards to set for their categories. They just know what feels good or what seems right. Um, but we really want to set it up to reflect what's important to us. And so if convenience and eating out is really important to you, like majority of the Americans, then then you're, it's going to reflect itself in your budget. So some of us are even really doing it inadvertently um, without any intention. But if you were to go back and look at your where you spend your money, you're going to see where what's important to you. Right. Um, now, it may not be what you want to be important. but It's it, what you're making important by your choices. Exactly. Yeah, and so. Sense. We're trying to be a little more intentional, and we're trying to take the impulsivity and the feelings out of it, including the fear. We don't want to make a budget out of fear. I would rather us make a budget out of excitement and anticipation uh, and intention mm-hmm. than fear and panic. Yep. Uh, and so we take that budget, and we would say, okay, well, in order for me to have that extra $500 a month, I'm going to have to trim back on my subscriptions. I'm going to have to trim back on my eating out. Uh, We might have to cook more at home. But in the end, if we do these things, then we'll have achieved our goal. Yep. Right. And then after that, it's just action. And last time we talked about accountability and and how important that is. With action, it's the foundation of action is accountability. We go back to the budget and we say, did we do what we said we were going to do? Yes Mm -hmm. or no? It's a black and white question. That's That's what I love about numbers is that they either are or they aren't. They either exist or they don't, and we either have or we haven't. You would be amazed at how short the arguments are because (laughs) there's no feelings about it. It either didn't happen or it did happen. So when we have accountability and we have an objective plan, somebody can hold the other person accountable, and probably me, my wife say, well, you went over on your fund money this month, and I go... Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) And we have to talk about why that happened and how I can make it better. Or is it really, is $10 over really going to be the thing that break bankrupts our home? Probably not. You know, it's a good guideline. Um, And we have to say, do we want to be legalistic about it or do we want to be flexible? And and, and we have to reevaluate that. And, and so this is a messy, flexible process, but I do hope it provides a little bit of structure for people to be able to navigate these conversations because without structure and guidance, it can be a really treacherous thing where we can get off on all sorts of different tangents um, and it can be very destructive because if you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it or you feel like we're not really working towards something together, it can be really easy to want to say, well, what about what I want? And then the whole thing falls apart. Well, I just I love the way you structured this, starting with principles, what's important, talking about the things that you value the most, the things that you live for, and then setting up goals, then implementing plans to meet those goals, and then implementing a budget to make sure the plan is working to meet those goals, and then taking action to stick to the budget, 
to make sure the plan's working so that you can meet your goals. Mm -hmm. And all of it is sustaining this principle, this these principles and priorities that you have, the values that you cherish the most. So I love the way you structured that, Russell. I think it really will help our viewers. I know it's, it's really given me a different perspective of even talking about it as I talk to people uh, on finances and how to structure a budget and a plan to meet those goals. We all f emphasize you need to set goals. Those goals need to be guided by principles and priorities and values that you have because those are the things that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what you desire to do, if your values and priorities are such, you're going to follow those no matter what. And uh, just the, the way you structured it, I just love it. So Russell, if I'm dealing with a budgeting issue and I'm looking at somebody's actual budget and we keep running into a problem over and over again, and I realize that's you know four layers up, principles, goals, plans, and then the budget. If I'm dealing with a budgeting problem and I can't seem to get on the same page or we constantly are going over a little bit each month, like you said, it's, oh, it's only $10, but it's $10 here, it's $10 here. $10. Yeah. But what's, what's really going on? Well, I mean, there's there's going to be something to be said about behavior modification and uh, and determination because this is this is not become mindless or easy until maybe six months to a year into this. You know, right now my wife and I run like a oiled machine. We meet twice a month, and we see where we're at. We track our transactions. We know where we're going. Uh, our goals are you know short term and long term are already set. And, and so it, it is at some level a little bit mindless because we just it's, it's, it's just now we're waiting for the proper amount of time to pass. Um, but if somebody's really struggling to be held accountable or to really follow through on the plan, then maybe at some point we have to see, depending on the person's financial situation, well, can we accommodate more in that category or is that really just going to exacerbate the problem? Probably diving in deeper as you do as a financial coach, trying to understand what kind of thing are you trying to fix by spending this money? You know, what do you think is going to happen when you do this? Or are you just not paying attention? Sometimes I would wake up at the end of the month and go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I just spent that much money. You know, and it happens. It happened. Maybe not for Leo, but <laughs> <laughs> it happens for me. You know, I'll it's wake up. It's never happened to Leo. Yeah, not it's one never time. happened to Leo. And <laughs> And, and, but I, it, for, it's happened for me where I re woke up and I go, oh my gosh, I just, I spent that, especially with, you know, things like Amazon one click or, you know, that, uh -oh. that stuff will get you in trouble. trouble. That trouble. stuff will get you in trouble every time. And so maybe then that means if there's a lack of connection between how much money I still have left to spend and how much I've already spent, and maybe we need to be meeting more often. Maybe the spouses need to be getting together twice a week. And we need to be seeing, okay, what have you spent this week? What have I spent this week? And that just means paying more attention at some point. Um, and, and so it really is going to come back to what the root of the problem is. Yeah, well, when you talk about the root, you know, if you look at those five different layers, almost like a pyramid, and you have your principles and priorities as the foundation, and you build on that another layer of goals, and then a layer of planning to meet those goals, and then a layer of budgeting to follow out that plan, and then a layer of action to knock out that budget. If you're having a budgeting problem, you really just take a step back and say, okay, it's really a planning problem because apparently when we put our long-term plan together, we weren't really in agreement. And so we take a step back, we go down a layer, deal with the planning process and say, oh, well, we thought we would plan this, but when we went to execute it through the budget, we didn't do it. So maybe our planning is off. And then if, if we're not really agreeing on our plans, take another step back and go back to your goals and say, do we, are, do, do we both desire this? Do we really want to retire at this age? Do mm -hmm. we really want to be able to scale back from work at this age? Or do we want to enjoy travel more? You know, what are the real goals? 
and then get back to that foundation of principles. So I think that's cool that you can always funnel backwards Absolutely. on that scale and it's say, fluid. okay, it's, it's fluid. Fl- yeah. Um, and and it, it really creates what I like to call a transcendent priority. It's something that's outside of yourself. You know, for me to be able to pay for my kid's college is a priority that does not benefit me. It's something that's important to me and it's outside of myself. And so I'm able to say no to Starbucks twice a week because I know that there's something bigger than me that I'm working towards. And that's really what we're trying to get to is we're trying to get something that's bigger than the individual for them to be able to connect with so that they can say no a lot easier. And for some people, they have a good firm grasp on their, their wallet and they know not to let it go. And some people just get caught up in the moment. And we need to have that reminder of, you know what, if I say no to Starbucks 15 times a month, I'm going to be able to afford X amount of dollars, right? Yeah. Extra. And and that's just an example. I'm not hating on Starbucks. I like to eat, drink mm. coffee too. It's uh, an easy one to take pot one. shots at. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and you set that goal of saving for kids' college, but it's based on the principle in your life that you want to leave an inheritance to your kids mm-hmm. or that you want to educate your children in the way that you are educated. There's a there's a principle that goes even deeper that, that speaks to the desire that's, again in your heart, sharing your heart, Absolutely. sharing your treasure. Okay, what's in your heart? Yeah, I go to Ashley and say, what what really matters to you? We did a vision retreat for our marriage, but one of the things we talked about on that is we talked about money, but the thing that we focused on is casting vision for where do we want to be in five years? What do we want to do professionally? What do we want to do with the values of our home? Uh, when do we want to have kids? How do we want to raise our kids? Mm-hmm. What kind of principles do we want to pour into them? And as we began to set the vision for our house, and we went away for a couple of days, you know, to the lake and stayed at a nice place right off the lake and just were quiet. And she would go into one end of the cabin and I'd go to the other end and we'd both write for 20 minutes what our vision was, what our principles and priorities were. And then we'd come back together and talk about it for 20 minutes. And then we'd take another subject and we'd go into different corners again, write about it for 20 minutes and then come talk about it for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that setting that principle and priority for each one of us, okay, this is what matters to my wife. Well, I married her. I said that I would cherish her and that I'd put her first. And so, okay, how do I take what is important to her and make that important to me and vice versa? And so if you have two people that are 100% in fighting for each other, then you have a 100% chance of marriage and a 100% chance of bringing your finances back in order. But it takes time and it takes dealing with selfishness yeah. <laughs> from time to time as selfishness. well. Selfishness, yeah, differences. Absolutely. So so if we're dealing with selfishness, and and this is something that's interesting to me, you know, you said, maybe, maybe I spend over $10 in this one category. I go over by $10. Mm-hmm. And you get to this place where you have one person who I'm thinking from a strengths finder perspective, they have belief in their top five and they say, no, We made an agreement on the budget and you violated my trust. You violated a promise that you made to me that we weren't going to spend more than $100 on clothes this month. And you went 110. Like you didn't just, you didn't just, oh, break the budget by 10 bucks. You violated our promise. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, you have someone who is a little bit more impulsive and they enjoy what money can buy. And so in the moment they're like, oh, I'll get this extra pair of socks because I want to bless my friend or I want to take care of somebody else or, you know, or I just want to look good tomorrow at work for my new interview or whatever it is. And that $10 represents different things to different people. So when, when you run into one of those scenarios, we have two people on two different sides and you know, it's only 10 bucks. 
but to one person, it's a promise that was broken. How do you begin to have an argument or I would say a crucial conversation? You know, how do you have that conversation in a way that's constructive instead of destructive? Well, first, I'd really want to know when you started recording at my house, uh, <laughs> because that sounded eerily familiar. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the constructive arguments are uh, the, the grease that makes this machine work, um, mm. because if we don't know how to have these conversations in a way where we end up with something constructive, then this isn't going to make, it's not going to go further than step one. Uh, and so the first thing that I noticed, it's a real, it's really, really helpful is if we can keep the main thing, the main thing. So for instance, in your example about the $10 over the budget, well, it'd be really easy for me as the impulsive person to say, well, you never spend your money. Why is it fair that I can't, you know, and, and try to deflect now, and I've turned it on to something about her. And now she's probably going to get defensive about that because it hurt her feelings. Mm-hmm. And she's going to say, well, it's because I have some self-control, and I know how to say no to things. And now we're starting to escalate. And then I'm going to get my feelings hurt because now she's t- implying that I am uh, reckless and impulsive, and I'm hearing all sorts of things that she's not saying, right? Mm-hmm when the original topic was about $10 and then eventually it it devolves into name calling and, and always and never. And, and it, and it becomes this tantrum almost, you know, and for the record, Ashley and I never have problems like this and we always (laughs) do the right thing, you know, always and never. (laughs) I believe it. I know David, I know Ashley. And so really the core to doing that is just sticking to the point. And, and one of the ways that, it, especially if you are on the wrong side of the, of the discussion, you know, if I'm going to own what I said, I did spend $10 more and I can understand why it, it would um, bother you, you know, um, and, and I have to own that, right? But notice I didn't try to find a way to wiggle out. I didn't try to deflect to something that you did wrong um, because you know, it either is wrong or it isn't wrong, and two wrongs don't make a right, so me pointing out something you did doesn't help, but it does make me feel better in the moment, and I might be able to distract you long enough to get away <laughs> with it, right? And that's what we're trying to hope to have happen, yeah. and and so we have to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. If we start a conversation talking about how I don't do enough dishes, then that's probably the way we need to end the conversation. The resolution needs to be about dishes. It doesn't need to be about how my mom does something, right? It doesn't need to be about that. (laughs) And so the next thing would be owning your stuff and taking responsibility. Now there's a, uh, there's a great story that I tell about this in my own life where um, my wife and I got invited to a uh, New Year's Eve party. And so it was, you know, late in the night and she had just gotten home from work and it, at seven thirty, and she was exhausted. She had worked a 12 hour day. And so she's like, I really don't want to go. And, uh, she's just like laying on the floor, just like exhausted. <laughs> and I sl- got down there with her. I said, well, but there are friends and, and we never get to go see our friends. And we, they invited us to their house. How nice is that? And I, and I start making all of these points and she eventually relents and decides to go with me. And, uh, and so the next day we go to the party and she ends up falling asleep at the party because she's so exhausted and she's mad at me at the end of the day. And so she wakes up the next morning and she's angry. And I go, what are you even angry about? And she goes, well, you, I felt like you manipulated me yesterday. And I could have easily just turned something around or spun it. But then I had to stop. I took five seconds and I reevaluated and I said, did I manipulate her? I asked myself that question because it either happened or it didn't happen. Right. 
And so then I had to own it. I recognized, yeah, that did happen. I did do that. Now looking back, I shouldn't have been that emphatic and I shouldn't have been pushing her to do something that she didn't want to do. But if I didn't take that five seconds to ask myself, did I actually do that? Like, did that actually happen? Not, did I mean to do it? That's not what I asked, right? That's where most spouses get hung up is, well, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean it that way, but it happened. And we and if we own it, as soon as I owned it and I apologized, the tension flew out of the room and the conversation became a lot more constructive. Mm-hmm. As soon as I said, you know what? You're right. I did do that. It validates her feelings. It makes her feel like she's not crazy or unreasonable or hypersensitive. You know, it makes her say, you know, that is something that you should have stood up for. Uh, And I learned from it, you know, and that was the other thing is I was able to learn from it because I owned it. And so the third thing for a constructive argument is watching your pronouns. This is so pivotal, but it's so small. Our pronouns leave little emotional marks on our conversations. Mm. I worked with a couple once where... The husband was, he was sitting in the, the office and I actually hadn't met the spouse yet, but he said, you know, she's getting to go on all these trips and I'm here working on my student loan debt. And I said, but I thought y'all were married. <laughs> and he said, well, we are married, but I, I have my student loan debt and she's debt free. And I said, well, no, if you're married, you're, it's, you, it's debt her debt too. <laughs> it's her debt too, right? And, right. Uh, and so the... And I get hung up on those pronouns because it really does unlock something in our hearts when I start to say, that's my money. Mm-hmm. It's your debt. That's your problem. You need to deal with it. That You can't be a team like that. You know? nope. And so it's something small that we can all really be paying attention to, just like paying attention to if we use always or never in an argument. Nobody does anything all the time. <laughs> And I know it's ironic to use an absolute to disqualify an absolute, but it, it, it just doesn't happen. And I know me as a word guy, I'm going to get hung up on the fact that you told me I never help with the dishes. I'm going right. to be like, no, I have at least done it once. You know, yeah, in it's happened. <laughs> in all of our years of marriage, I know I've done it at least once, right? Yeah, so yeah. if we can stay away from those things, it really does make it a lot easier to have the conversations about what's important to me, what's important to you. And how I maybe put those things at risk, you know, and be able to own some of that. If it's important for me to be able to carpe diem and seize the day and smell the roses and you're wanting to live uh, with a poverty spirit, well, that's not okay either. Mm-mm. You know, we need to find that middle ground where we're able to enjoy what we've been given, but also steward it appropriately. Right. And that's not going to be able to happen if we can't have constructive arguments. Russell, give us a good overview of what it, what does it look like for a couple to uh, to become a healthy team? What does that look like? Well, I like the sports analogy because it really does surmise what we should be trying to achieve in our homes. The first thing that I would really encourage most couples to do is your team shouldn't be looking at how other teams play. Comparison is probably one of the biggest traps that most couples fall into. I mean, especially with this age of social media where we're constantly looking at other people going on trips to Paris and having a good time. It's really easy for us to feel discontented and go, man, you know, I wish we went on more trips. Why don't we get to do that? Why do they get to buy their kids those things? But I like what Dave Ramsey says. I don't want to buy a car for somebody that I don't know at the stoplight, right? You know, I don't buy cars to get responses from other people. I don't do things for other people because they don't have to pay the bills, right? 
I don't need to be making financial decisions, especially long-term financial decisions, just to impress people because that is, um, they're not the ones that are going to have to deal with the consequences of it. Uh, and so it actually can create a, a stressful situation, uh, something that can be avoided. Um, a healthy team also cares more about the team than they do about the individual. They care more about the principles that we've established as a team, and they're willing to sacrifice a little bit in order to make those things happen. That is one of the biggest things that I've seen is is an obstacle, is that when I see you not willing to sacrifice, then I start to pull back. Then I start to realize, oh, i got to start trying to get my own because they're not going to help. And so when both people can agree the team is more important than the individual, that is a, uh, a big stepping stone. Uh, third thing is a good team doesn't beat up a player who makes a mistake. And so that doesn't mean we don't hold them accountable. It doesn't mean we don't review the tape and see how they could fix it. But it doesn't mean that we connect their worth with their behavior. So there's a big difference between saying, um, man, you were really stupid, and saying, man, you did something kind of stupid. You know, there's a big difference. I mean, I, I've done plenty of stupid things, but it doesn't mean I am stupid. You know, And so being able to connect that my behaviors need to be held accountable, but I don't have to be beaten up about it. And fourth thing is a team meets frequently. We have to be communicating. We have to be talking about every transaction. We need to be reviewing every error that's made in the budget, like David was talking about earlier. And we need to come up with a plan. If it's not working this way, then we need to adjust. And we need to stay fluid. Um, we can call an audible if we need to. But the, but the last big thing is that a good team keeps their eye on the prize. We have to keep focused on why we're doing what we're doing. You cannot succeed and take it easy. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And, and, and you have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit of instant gratification in order for a delayed gratification to kick in. And so it, you have to have that prize at the end of the tunnel to make it worth it. Well, Russell, I can't tell you how thankful we are for everything you shared. I think everything that you shared has been so so important to talking about the behavior, the emotions that we have, how we interact with each other, especially in a marriage relationship. So just grateful for you being here today and sharing all this stuff. I think it's going to really help our audience and those couples out there that are trying to navigate through this financial difficulty they may be facing and just learning how to communicate, learning how to become a team. So just thank you. Thank you for being here. We'll probably invite you to come back at some point because I think we could dig into this topic much, much further. Oh, absolutely. But just thank you so much for being here. No problem. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Getting Money Right. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can benefit more by downloading the notes and checking out more on leosabo.com along with the resources and tools we've got. And we'd love for you to share this out on social media. Please share the link. Let people know on Facebook or Instagram, wherever you get out on social media. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we, we can, can keep getting, getting money right. We need to find that middle ground where we're able to enjoy what we've been given, but also steward it appropriately. And that's not going to be able to happen if we can't have constructive arguments. <laughs> <laughs>